Welcome to Ability Stories Podcast, where we discuss the successes, challenges, and stories of people with disabilities. I'm your host, Tara Briggs. To contact me, please send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. Hi, Ability Stories listeners. I just wanted to give a brief introduction to my interview with Everett Bacon and say that I apologize for the sound quality in the interview. Um, I didn't quite have the microphone placed right, so he's nice and loud and I'm nice and quiet. (laughs) So um, hopefully that isn't too distracting and I, I did my best to try and turn me up, but too much turning me up distorted the sound in a major painful way so hopefully you'll still enjoy the interview and um and and get something out of it I certainly did it was a lot of fun to visit with Everett as always I can be reached at abilitystories at gmail.com welcome to ability stories my guest today is Everett Bacon he is the president of the National Federation of the Blind of Utah and you work at the Division of Services for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Salt Lake as a assistive technology specialist. Is that what your, your title is? That's one of my jobs. Um, my actual titer, title now is a field services coordinator because I have a staff of nine people under me now. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, great. Well, primarily what I want to focus on is a little bit about your personal history and then what it's like to be president of the NFB Okay. and what that's been like for you. So... Um, you have retinitis pigmentosa, and that's genetic. You've got a lot of fam. You've got family members who have that. I do. It actually, it was prescribed as uh, as retinitis pigmentosa all my life growing up, um, as far back as I can remember, until I got into my twenties. And uh, we started seeing a, a retinal specialist. We had seen many different retinal spe- specialists, but we saw this retinal specialist in Texas who told us it really is a, an eye disease that looks very similar to RP, but it's a little different. It's called cone rod dystrophy. And it's an it's a extremely hereditary uh, gene, but it's an autosomal dominant. If anyone knows what that means, that's kind of where you... where Well, basically... It, it's a, it's what they call a roll of the dice, and if you if you get snake eyes, you have it. If you didn't get snake eyes, you don't, and and it and it dies like so. Like my my brother did not get it, so he will not pass it on. Um, I I got it, so I would definitely pass it on. Um, so that's kind of how the the it works. So my mom my mom passed it on, and she had one child that had it and one child that didn't. You know, and uh, um, and uh, it came on my mom's side of the family. It goes back some 13 generations that we've been able to identify. Um, it came from a Native American bloodline, and so and it's 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 weird that it's it's mainly affected more females, but it's just again the luck of the of the gene and the birth. It it doesn't matter. I so I don't have as many male. Um, individuals that have had it only me and a, and a great uncle in Oklahoma um, that I that I'm aware of and every, everyone else it's female so like my mom my aunt my grandmother my aunt has a, a daughter that has it 
Um, I have a great-grandmother that has it. Um, I have my cousin who has it, has two daughters that have it. So kind of goes back like that a lot. So you, what was that like growing up with family members that had your same, had, or, you know, blind or visually impaired too? Talk so, about. so it was always, it was very different as far as, um, I didn't know any other blind people very much, um, except for some of the, some of the kids in school. And then of course my family, my family had a, a definitely a can do attitude, but they weren't affiliated with any kind of organizations or any, or any philosophies. There were definitely some, some, things that that they thought blind people could do and there were some things that they thought blind people couldn't do like the things blind people can't do drive a car play baseball things like that that's the, those are the things so those things were out although they did let me try it for little league and i made the team <laughs> um and i played right field um and then i had a center fielder that always looked out for me because i never could see the ball coming um and i i remember being at a game and my uncle uh was at the game and my grandfather was at the game and they both um, offered me 20 bucks if I could get on base because I'd never gotten a hit because again I couldn't see the the ball coming from the pitcher so in my head I thought well if I just take this pitch to the back of my uh, uh, to my shoulder or something like that I'll get on base and I'll get the money without ever having to hit the ball (laughs) so that's what I did I leaned in and got the pitch right at the back of my shoulder and I made the base (laughs) I only lasted about a month in little league before um the coaches said I was it was a hazard to me because I could get hurt and stuff what did that feel like were you sad or were you glad to be done um, I love baseball, so I was sad because I wanted to be like all the other kids so badly. Um, but at the same time, I I couldn't be like all the other kids. Um, I couldn't hit. I couldn't catch. Um, so those those were things that made me different. No matter no matter what I tried, no matter how bad I wanted it to be the same, I couldn't do it the same way they did. <clears throat> and so. Um, so, so I understood, um, and I dealt with it. So did you get into any other sports, like goalball or any of the sports that blind people? There wasn't goalball when I was uh, a kid, so I, I don't think goalball came till later in the 90s. I don't remember ever seeing or hearing about goalball in the 70s and 80s. Um, but I did get into wrestling in high school, mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't play football again the same reason they wouldn't let me play now I tried to be a lineman who doesn't ever have to worry about the ball but at that time I wasn't quite big enough to be a lineman I was kind of I only weighed about 160 pounds and so I probably would have got squashed <laughs> so um but I wish I had that problem now but um but yeah so I ended up getting into wrestling more mm-hmm. and I, I I did wrestle I never used any kind of um special rules like the the whole thing where they're supposed to keep a hand on you at all times i heard about them but i had partial vision and so i just i was always under the idea of yeah they know i'm legally blind but i don't want them to treat me any different from any other person or their kid so i didn't take advantage of those kinds of rules that were out there I, i probably should have and if i look back on them now i i would have done it differently but at the time, that's that was the mindset I was in. The same thing when it came to learning Braille and, and, and doing some of the things that other um, legally blind kids were doing um, at the time. They, um, 
the the teacher said, you know, hey, we could we could try to give you Braille, but you'll probably do better with magnification. And that's all the thing I needed to hear. And I didn't want to be like all the other blind kids. So I was kind of defiant like that. And so I learned how to do it with extra bright lights and making things a little bit bigger and, and, and just trying to squint and see it as best I could. So um, how come, mm-hmm. like a lot of people do that um, who have some vision and get away with, or maybe that's the wrong word wording, but use the vision, use the vision, use the vision, no matter what, use the vision. You know, even if you can't actually sit down and read a novel, even if reading two pages gives you migraines, use the vision instead of Braille or a cane. How, why do you think that is? What? Well, a... it's a sighted world we live in, Tara. Everybody else is doing it with sight. You don't want to be different. I mean, think mm-hmm. about when you were a kid. It's horrifying to be different. Well, when I was a kid, I was walking to a haircut appointment, and I didn't want to use my cane, and my aunt let me trip over a bike in the middle of the sidewalk and get scraped up really badly. And so that cured my not wanting to use a cane really quick. You know what's funny <laughs> is, I, yeah, and I would see you're a smart kid because <laughs> I've known kids like you that have done it that way and have tripped over that same bike probably 10 times and are still so stubborn they're gonna continue to do it. And it's it's all because they, they think that they look and and will be viewed differently once they admit to the world that they're blind. It's really too bad. Um, it was the best day of, of, of that I can think of in, in my life when when I started thinking and realizing, and I, I don't know what, what did it exactly, but uh, maybe it was learning about the NFB and learning that there were real blind people out there that, that were not afraid to admit that they were blind and were still successful. Um, I didn't know anybody. I mean, my... My mom and and Paul, my aunt and my um, grandmother, I, I love them dearly, and I thought of them as, as successful um, mm. people, but they they never. There was always this stigma of, well, God gave us a special purpose, and that's why we're blind, and so we'll always be considered different, and and that kind of thing. But they never re- were, and they always kind of taught me hold on to that site and try to blend in and, and, and be like the sighted kids as much as you can as for as long as you can, even into your adult years. And so that's, that's was the motto I tried to live by. Um, and I think that that's different now. And, and now that I've, I've experienced that I can still do things just fine as a functionally blind person and do just as well, if not better than I was with trying to do it with the limited sight I had. I think it's made me a better person. So. Yeah, yeah. So um, you had, I remember when you gave a speech, you talked about your family. Um, and pretty much everybody everybody ends up losing their vision, right? Isn't that part of yes, it? Yes, yes, that is definitely part of it. I remember your, your grandmother was a, a, a kind of a matriarch of her church that her husband she, was a pastor of, and mm-hmm. she disciplined all the bad kids. <laughs> she did. She kept a thimble. She she had a, it was a metal thimble that she wore on her thumb, and um, it, it, you would, you would, a lot of the times the kids would sit on the first two rows. We grew up in a little free will Baptist church, and um, in, in Texas and in California both, and uh, the kids would all sit towards the front, and she was up there, and she was notorious for she she didn't use a cane very often she kind of knew her way around she was totally blind uh, i think she should have used a cane more cuz i do remember her tripping and her falling and things like that 
but um, but I do remember her sneaking up sometimes behind kids and thumping them in the back of the head oh with the thimble when they were acting up in, in the service. So I could get away with that today, but that's no. awesome. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, but so in a way, it sounds like your family was just you know a really good example to you of what you could do, but then people didn't fully accept. Yeah, I think they were good examples for what they they thought they could accomplish. I do think that they didn't quite have the feeling that they could accomplish anything they wanted. Mm. I, I always saw them as they're doing the best they can in their minds. But I don't think they had anyone that, that looked role models that, that were part of their lives that they could say, I, I could do more. Um, there are blind people doing a lot more, and I'm capable of doing more. I talk with my mom now a lot about that. My mom is um, in her early 60s, and uh, she's taught herself Jaws. She's taught herself voiceover. She's taught herself Safari um, on the computer and, and things like Like she went from a, a Windows computer to a Mac computer and uses the iPhone. And she's taught herself all that. She asks me questions and things like that, but my mom does it structured discovery. She, um, she'll fi she figures it out. She... Mm -hmm plays with it and plays with it and plays with it till she gets it. And she's determined. Um, and, and it's kind of the, the skills we've talked about um, in, in, in uh, blindness training here. And, and my mom has found that now. And I don't think she would have been that way when I, I growing up as a preteen and teenager when she was starting to really lose her vision. At that point, she was very frustrated and very um, depressed and, and didn't think she could she could ever do the things as a blind person does. So did anybody ever talk about like passing um, blindness on and what that was like? Um, yeah, but... Was it just sort of the risk that people will it, have? It's just something, kids? yeah. I, just, I know sometimes in the disability community that gets controversial as to whether or not you should pass on whatever disability you have. That is definitely a problem. Um, I think it's it's hard to say. Um, I, I would you care? I mean, like, can can I can I tell yeah. the baby, can I tell the baby shower story? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I love the baby shower story. So worked at a baby shower because Everett, you and I used to work together, mm -hmm. and um, everybody was gathered, and one of our coworkers said, "Does anybody have any advice for Tara?" And you said, I do, but it's too late for you to listen to it. Because I was like eight months pregnant by then. And I laughed and laughed and laughed. And no one else thought that was funny. No. But I loved it because I was feeling kind of probably the apprehension that every new parent feels. And you just said it like it was. But you and your wife were childless by choice. Mm -hmm. um, but... Would you pass on your disability? I mean, would that be a concern to you? Why, why or why not? Um, it's always a concern. It's always something I think about. Um, mm -hmm. I would be, I would definitely be frustrated for my child if they had what I had, um, because I, I would, I know that they're gonna struggle, and I know that that struggles are definitely part of of having a disability and especially a very uh, visible disability like we have yeah. and um and and that is so different from from other disabilities um not all but some but at the same time i i was open to having children i wasn't totally against it 
my wife was completely against it. <laughs> and, um, and not because of passing the blindness on. Mm -hmm. My wife never thought she would, um, never wanted to be a mom and never, um, and, and just, just, yeah, never wanted to be a mom. And so she was very clear to me when we were dating that that was never wanted to be a mother. So I, you know, I, I loved her and I still love her, of course. And so I kind of said, well, you know, is it that important to me? And it's not. So we, we chose not to. So but that's you, the reason. But you would, you would be okay with passing yeah, that that would not be the reason why I would not have kids. Mm. Um, it would definitely be something that I would plan for, prepare for, and I would know how to. That that's the thing is I don't know if my mom knew how to raise an, a a blind kid or a low vision kid. Mm -hmm. um, and if if you ask her now, she just she'll tell you I do the best I could, um, but I didn't I didn't know how much you could see or who you, how much you couldn't see. Um, and I think my aunt is kind of the same way with my, my cousin, um, of talking to her and my cousin, even raising her two daughters, like she doesn't know if she did things the right way. Uh, and that's mainly cause they did not have any kind of blind role models except themselves. They were not involved in a blind community of any kind. I, I'm different now because I know there is a strong blind community out there. There are blind people advocating all the time. So I would lean on what I've learned and what I've experienced now um, being out there. Um, and I think that's the big difference between myself and, and the rest of my family and why that would not deter me um, from passing it, you know, having children passing it on. I would still do it. So um, tell me about what got you involved with the, with the National Federation of the, of the Blind. So I was a... Again, a, a legally blind person, but I had vision. I had straight ahead vision. It wasn't very good, but it was good enough to get by and good enough to get me in just enough trouble. Um, so I, I uh, definitely used what I had in the way I had. I got through college with a bachelor's degree in um, music education. And um, I was engaged to be married the year I graduated. And so I needed a job immediately. The um, I was gonna go teach in a in a junior high, but the college offered me a uh, kind of a dual job. They offered I, I was assistant director of admissions, and then they had a charter school, and they had a seventh and eighth grade choir, and I could teach um, that seventh and eighth. So I had basically one period a day where I was a teacher, and the rest of my job I was an admissions counselor, and so I did that job for two years. And I realized that I loved singing and I loved music. I did not like teaching. Mm. I, I did not find myself a teacher. Um, and and I, I just didn't enjoy it. And uh, so maybe that's another good reason why I didn't become a parent. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but but so, um, so I knew I needed to do something different. And um, Angela was um, getting her last two years paid for as part of the job that I had. That was a part of the agreement, which was really good because she got her tuition free. Um, and so my contract, the two-year contract that I had ended when she graduated and I needed to find other work. Blockbuster Video was a very strong and big company in Texas and across the world at the time. And they were offering, um, with any bachelor's degree of any kind, you got to train as a store manager for three months and then you would get your own store. So I interviewed, got the job. Um, I was upfront that I had partial vision. 
Um, I told them what I could and couldn't do. I, I had a CCTV at the time that I used. It was a little older model, but it worked. Um, I, it was something that I got through VR in college. And uh, so I had that uh, CCTV and I, I could still see computer screens, especially with just using a little bit of adjusting the font and things like that. And so I, I got that job and I started working there and I started doing really well. I found out that I was really good at that kind of job. I'm, I'm a people person. Um, I love dealing with the, count, uh, the movies and the customers and all that kind of stuff. So I did pretty well there. I, I went up from a small little store to a bigger store in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, it was one of the biggest stores in Irving, Texas. And uh, I had Dallas Cowboys football players that came in my store all the time. Oh, yeah. I had a picture of Troy Aikman up on my wall, him shopping in my store and other famous players. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, and then I, I got, Angela got accepted to Baylor College of Medicine and I had to transfer to Houston. So I transferred down there. And I got, again, um, the third busiest store in Houston. Houston had 85 stores at the time, and I got the third busiest store. It was a store that George H.W. Uh, Bush, President Bush, and Barbara Bush frequented. Um, they came at least once a month and rented movies. And so it was a really busy store, and I did okay for the first couple of years, but my vision was decreasing. It was getting harder, and I had to adapt. I would figure out ways to still be the manager without doing certain jobs that um, I had to rely on my staff members to do. Things like working the cash register, things like putting the movies back on the shelves because I couldn't read them and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was struggling with those types of things. I was still managing and I was even managing, I got um, asked to be the district training store manager. So my store would run nine other stores in the area and all the managers would have to report to me in that area. And so we were doing okay but it was getting harder. And I so I knew that there was better technology out there. I always kept up with what's what's out there. ZoomText had just come on the market at that time. I know you think ZoomText has been around forever, but it really got popular in around 2001, 2002. Mm. And so and I learned about ZoomText um, and um, I knew that there were better CCTVs out there with more functionality. And so I, I requested from um, my um, district uh, regional manager and the HR director that I said, I need these three things. I need uh, this software installed on all the computers in my store and any of the stores that I manage. I need this new CCTV and I would like one in each store because uh, or at least one in one store and one that I could take to another store, the two stores that I worked at the most. And then I also asked in my home store that I was at the most that they install a blind system in the front of the windows because there was so much glare coming off during the day from the sun shining in. And I, I could not see, it was affecting where I couldn't even move around very well without a cane. And I, I would keep a cane with me behind the counter mm -hmm. and I would use that to get around when I had to. So I asked for those types of things. It was in um, September, October of uh, the year 2002. I had just been given a, an award for the top um, uh, auditing store manager uh, of the of all the area in Houston because uh, I had the best uh, numbers for the area and, um, and then they gave me another award I uh, can't remember what that one was but I had won two awards at this big regional conference um, and I asked for that equipment and in January I got fired mm. and so it was like two months after that 
And I asked them, why am I getting fired? Well, your inventory numbers are, um, you've been, you've, your auditing numbers are now bad. And I go, wait, you just gave me an award for the best. Well, now they're bad. And I'm like, how can they go it was not possible for them to go that bad. I'd never been reprimanded before, never been anything. And the only thing I could point my my finger on was that they were afraid to do these changes because I was a, a, a blind store manager that was going more blind. And they were afraid of how they were going to adapt to this. And it was just easier to find a new store manager. And put that in. I think they intended to, to fire me, and they knew that I was going to probably um, say it was discrimination. And I think they knew that they were going to uh, probably have to come up with a settlement and and all of that. And I think they were just willing to take that risk uh, rather than deal with any of that. Um, looking back on it now and talking to people that I know, so I got fired. My my wife and. Um, my mom blasted out emails about how awful Blockbuster was, and one of the emails got back to Scott Labar. Again, I had heard of the National Federation of the Blind, but didn't know a thing about them. Um, and Scott Labar was a prominent lawyer for the NFB. Mm-hmm. He um, reached out to my mom, who who got got in touch with me. And I told Scott Labar my entire case, and he said. I'm going to um, ask the NFB to represent you. He said, my firm will definitely represent you, but I think the NFB will represent you too. Mm-hmm. And um, I was flabbergasted by that. That was really neat. And I got to talk to Scott. I got to talk to President Maurer at the time. Um, and I got to talk to some prominent leaders. And and, and I was around all of a sudden these, these role models, um, men and women who had very successful jobs and they were all blind. Um, some partially blind, some totally blind, but the the thing in common that they were all proud of and they weren't afraid of admitting it, that they were blind. And uh, that was the start of how God got me the NFB and, and everything. So, and that's the Blockbuster story. So, so what happened with your, just to kind of finish mm-hmm, up, what the happened? Case? Yeah, what happened with your case? So we, 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 um, we did file a, a lawsuit with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission um, and we sued Blockbuster they settled out of court and we got a financial settlement settlement mm-hmm. would we have liked more sure um but scott said it was a nice settlement uh and he said you know sometimes getting a settlement and being done with it um is is a nice thing and it, mm-hmm. it, it was enough money where we could we could move to you we knew we were moving to utah anyway and i knew i could start over and so i was kind of happy about that and we could we bought we were able to buy a house and um, we had never done that before because we were always living in apartments because Angela, when you go to medical school and you do residency and all that, you don't make any money. Right. <laughs> so so it was all about my money. And then I had lost my job at the time, so we were living off my 401k, and it was miserable. So we kind of needed the money real bad, and so settling was just a good option for us. So That must have been so sad. It was. It was frustrating. I remember um, I was in when, – when it happened, uh, the firing happened, I was um, in the regional manager's office – and he had a videotape on the table, blank videotape, and he had some notebooks that had paper in them. And he kept telling me, we went round and round because he kept saying, well, your inventory numbers are out of whack. And I said, prove it, because I knew my numbers. I was very proud that I knew my numbers, and I started quoting off numbers that I knew of. And he goes, yeah, well, we, we've been looking at those, and, and we're, we're, we're questioning your 
your uh, decision on those and, I, and, and how you came to that assessment. And I'm going, wait, I came to it the way I've always come to it. And I started quoting my whole practice. I had specific things for them. They never could give me any specifics. And then they said, well, we have it on videotape. And I said, well, I, I dare you to show me the videotape where I'm, I'm, I'm making this mistake. I want to see this because I could still see video at that time. Right. And, and he's like, no, we're not going to do that. And I go, well, show me the book. Show me the numbers that you're questioning. No, we're not going to do that. And I kept going, well, this is really it. I, I, I said, you're telling me that I've done all these horrible things, and yet you can't prove to me that I've done them. No, we don't have to do that. That's so they just kept saying. And I go, you know, I, I'm be really beginning to think that I'm going to need to seek legal action. And as soon as I said that, they said, okay, our conversation's over. And they escorted me out of the building like I was a criminal. And I, I mean, I had taken a bus there, uh, you know, and I, I was the kind of the, the blind person that had to plan out all of the routes. <laughs> so they were escorting me out in the middle of a meeting and I had already worked out the bus to go home. So now I'm out in the middle of the day and everything's different. I don't know the routes. I, uh, so I had to figure all that out and I didn't have a cell phone at that time and what, what we have now. And, and it, so it was, it was extremely shocking and extremely humiliating um and and yeah and it was an awful thing to go through yeah so how do we how do you think we deal with that because uh that's um wow i can't believe i'm getting emotional listening to your story sorry okay that's the hardest part of having a disability right mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not that you're losing vision. It's not that you've got to find new ways to adapt, which is a, which is a pain in the butt. But mm-hmm. that's not the hardest part. The hardest part is the way that you're treated. Yeah. Um, we have to, we have to continuously through collective action keep informing the public about the misconceptions of blindness. Um, we have, to, and we have to do it through positivity. We have to do it through, um, getting, getting ahead as best we can. And we also need help from the sighted public that we need, we need champions out there that will stand up for us and will give us an opportunity. And unfortunately, the only way we get those champions is by having other blind people that have paved the way for us. So, um, I look back on it, and I don't think I'm anything special. But whenever um, I think about someone from from Blockbuster that um, heard about what happened to me, because they did, they all heard. Um, in fact, the the district manager he got um, transferred out. The guy that 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 fired me, he got transferred out a month after I got fired, and he got demoted. Um, the HR manager was let go. So someone at Blockbuster realized that something bad happened in my situation. And um, so my hope is that that story paves the way where maybe the next time they come across that or another, they work for another company, they come across that and they go, maybe we figure out a different way and we, we give this person a chance and an opportunity rather than close off. And I think the only way we can do that is by trying to open up the doors we can we have to do our part by getting the best training we can and and learning our technology and learning how to travel independently whether it be with a cane or a guide dog um but uh we have to we have to gain that confidence ourselves 
and and then we have to we have to go out and and we have to keep trying and I, I think that's the only way it'll change i do think it'll change though i think seeing things like um what's happening with uh, an incident something that happened today twitter um if you know anything about twitter you can do it's a big thing with pictures a lot of people attach pictures to their posts that they put on twitter or their tweets whatever they call them well for the first time today twitter has uh, allowed it uh, using an iphone or an, and an apple phone or an apple computer um, where you can attach an alt tag a description of that photo and it goes out there um, so blind people and visually impaired people can take advantage of the, the the what the photo is saying rather than it just being blank like it was before and um, the apps that uh, run twitter like twitterific and um, the chicken nuggets some of the famous ones that blind people use those are also going to do allow the same thing so twitter has has built that in so they can tack, tag on to that and, and so i think facebook will start to do the same thing and I, I think you'll see other – and so we need more of that going on where it becomes that universal design and it's more widespread, and I think that will continue to open up doors for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so you come to Utah, mm -hmm. and what, did you start working here? I did not right away. I actually um, I came to Utah, and I, I, I knew about vocational rehabilitation, and so I knew that, that you, you – needed to get signed up on that and so I got my case opened up my wife had started the residency so I wasn't going to see her very much so I knew I was going to have to get around on my own um, I knew how to run I knew how to ride a bus so I just called the local bus company which I found out was like UTA and called them up and said you know how do I get to the the division of services for the blind and they said oh you need to catch this bus by your house you know and transfer to this bus and it takes you and drops right so i did that you know um probably after my first month here I, I i came on my own to the bus and i met with a counselor and started talking to her about what things i could do um and uh i took a couple of classes in the training program i wasn't a full-time student um mainly because i i didn't I, I cooked already i cook all the time and i i did it without or limited vision so i didn't really understand why at the time the way our training program was it was not blindfold training or anything so um at, at, at that time i just said well i already know how to do that as a legally blind person <laughs> so why do i need to do that um and same with cane travel i was like i already know how to cross the street listening to traffic as a legally blind person so why do i need extra of that um, and so I, I just didn't see any of the things there. The only thing that interested me, honestly, was the woodshop class because I never got to play with power tools, and I thought that was kind of cool. And um, so I did that and built some things. And I I guess I got known around the, the training center and the agency as this um, young guy that, that seems kind of confident in his abilities, even though I, I, I don't know if I was or not, but... Um, I started, you know, I, they said a couple of teaching mentoring jobs actually were coming open where I could be a part-time mentor. And I went and did that and I would work with other blind people that, um, that, that weren't very confident in themselves. And I, I just would start working with them and did that for about three months. And, uh, then they had a full-time teaching position co open up and they, they suggested I apply. And so I did and got the job. Mm. 
and that's how it kind of came out from there. Now I've I've learned a lot. I mean, I was using still vision at that time, still kind of figuring out when when I needed the vision and when I didn't. Mm-hmm. I have no vision to this day. So that that happened 11 years ago. Um, um, probably about six, seven years ago, I, I, is the last time I really remember seeing. And, um, so I have no vision today and I have had to learn, um, through the great colleagues here and through members of the NFB that I've gotten to become friends with how to do things completely blind. Um, and just kind of, it's been my own structure discovery. Would I love to have had six to nine months in a training program? Uh, would I be a better Braille reader today? Would I be um, a more competent traveler? Yeah, I would. Um, so I, I wished I had that opportunity, but you know, once you get the job, you don't want to give it up. So, <laughs> so I learned that the hard way, and so I, I'm not going to give up the job, and so I'll just kind of pick things up as I go. So that's kind of how I'm doing it. So, what was it like emotionally adapting to your increasing vision loss? Did you ever get sad? Um, sure, sure. I definitely got sad from time to time. Um, my wife's blonde, um, blue-eyed, um, has perfect skin, and is uh, gorgeous. And um, I remember what she looked like, but I can't see her anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's depressing um, because I would like to see her still from time to time. Now, she loves it because she says, well, I always looked the way I did. <laughs> so <laughs> she said, I could change and you would never know. And I go, well, I would know, though, because things wouldn't feel the same. Things wouldn't be the same. So um, I I really pushed her to try to stay the way I want her to be. And, and, and just like she would do the same for me. You know? mm-hmm. She doesn't want me getting a giant belly <laughs> or anything like that. So so we, we definitely push each other to try to try to be healthy and, and keep young looking the way we all we want to be and stuff so those things are important to us and uh active and in everything we do so yeah that that makes me sad um the other things i don't i had a lot of sports memorabilia that i collected over the years Mm -hmm. like autographed baseballs and autographed sports cards and and tons of rookie cards i still have all that um, but I don't look at it anymore because I can't see it and I don't, I just don't. So it, it, for some reason it's lost its luster to me that it used to have. And that makes me a little sad sometimes. I don't know how to enjoy it the way I used to. Um, I've braille labeled everything and I, so I, I still go and look at, and I, and I know which one's which, but it's not, there is something that's a little different about it. Um, I still enjoy sports very much so and then I, I do all kinds of things with Lola to that I go to a lot of bees games and stuff and when I'm always home in Texas my brother and I will always go to whatever sports franchise is, is playing that night we'll go to a game and stuff and so yeah those things but it, it is just definitely not the same and uh, so that frustrates me and depresses me a little bit but so you know you deal what, with it I think what people would say is that that's the hard part about being blind or losing your sight sure is is that the hard is that the hard part is that the hardest part what's the hardest part is it that or yeah what is it I I, I would say huh, that's that's a definite hard part Op- getting opportunities though is way that frustrates me more I, I see so many blind people that I think are capable of doing things and and are and are not getting 
the opportunity um, for employment just just by like I know a guy who's a chemist and he's not getting the doors aren't opening for him the way they should be um, I know a blind guy who just uh, graduated with his HR degree um, in in December and here it is April and he still doesn't have a job and those things I think depress me and I think are harder than remembering what it's like to see um, remember what I was like to see is definitely a pain in the neck and I hate it I hate and I, I you know I hate the fact that I can't do that anymore but at the same time I hate even more that blind people aren't getting the opportunities they they've earned and, and that they deserve thank you for joining us on ability stories please review this podcast in iTunes to comment on this episode please go to abilitystories.podbean.com. If you have any show ideas or would like to be a guest on Ability Stories, send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.